Stamper. I'm Steve Kleinedler. And welcome to Fiat Lex. This is a podcast about dictionaries by people who write dictionaries. Woohoo! Yay! So um, this is a special treat. Uh, some pop culture references here. Um, I have started binge-watching Cougar Town. <laughs> I know I'm eight years late. Fabulous series, great ensemble, horrible title. Everyone knows that. But what I've taken away from that is uh, things go better when you have wine. And so we do. And not only that, this is the second episode we've taped today. So this is kind of like a Wednesday or a Thursday on Match Game. <laughs> right? You can always tell the Friday ones because they're blitzed right. out of their mind. Yeah. <laughs> We're podcasting responsibly. That's right. We are. We are safely at home and we are not going to drive anywhere, I promise. Um, also, I'm a lightweight, so... That has that. I need to start the episode with an apology and a clarification. This is an apology to and a clarification about intrepid engineer Josh, who has noticed in his quiet, gentle, forbearing way that I have twice now implicated him in the hatred of books and piles of books around our house. I would like to state for the record that intrepid engineer Josh loves to read. In fact, he probably reads more than I do, and that the piles of books do not irritate him at all. Depending on where I have placed the piles of books, if he trips over them, then that's an issue. But so, just so we're clear, intrepid engineer Josh, not a meathead, a very smart, intelligent man who loves to read and loves books and puts up with me. I think that's more the thing. Yeah, I, I, I would like to actually hear something from his voice so yeah. uh, intrepid engineer josh do you accept this apology josh <laughs> we know you have a voice <laughs> that's gonna make for a really awkward dinner later tonight yes <laughs> wait wait yes an awkward dinner or yes you accept the apology Okay, we'll, we got the one word out of him. We'll, we'll find out, and we will report back, listeners. Maybe this is a match game Thursday. <laughs> I hope our listeners are appreciating this. Oh, All right, we have a couple of things to accomplish today. Uh, last week, we talked about the difference between editions and copyright updates. Today, we're going to talk about online dictionaries and how they differ from print versions, be they editions or copyright updates. Yeah, absolutely. So the one thing you need to know is that it's not consistent across companies. So some companies will come out with an online update and then follow with an identical print update some months later. Some companies will push out both the online and the print update at the same time and they'll be identical. And some companies only update the print occasionally and update online much more frequently. So, for example, the American Heritage Dictionary has more information available online than they do in print. Um, a, a, like most companies that push data up online, it happens at a set interval every six months, every nine months. Uh, the American Heritage Dictionary tends to be every nine months. And in fact, in November, a brand new push is going to go to the website. Um, I'm actually going to plug a few of those items a little later. Woohoo! Webster's New World is an example where the print 
version is almost identical to the online version. Uh, and that's one reason why the uh, Associated Press uses the Webster's New World Dictionary because yeah. of that sameness. Yeah, for their style book. And the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary, the print version is absolutely not the same as the online version. The online version has been updated many, many times and has much more information in it than the print edition does. And that can sometimes be problematic for people, particularly if you're an editor and you're being told you need to use a particular edition and printing of a dictionary or a particular copyright edition of a dictionary. You need to know that depending on what you're told to use, sometimes you can go online and sometimes you can't go online. And we mentioned last week that a lot of changes that are made are transparent or tedious or they're not big ones that you will talk about in a press release or anything. And that's definitely the case with uh, online updates, too. For everything Mm -hmm. that's worth talking about in the press, there's a lot of tiny edits going around in the background. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is whenever you read this, this is axiomatic, no matter which dictionary company you're looking at or what update you're looking at, you should always assume whenever you read a press release about a new edition or a new printing or new words, that the marketing department is only highlighting the really sexy words. The words that are actually sort of the most difficult to do are the words that have had the most extensive revision or the most extensive type of revision is usually not highlighted at all. But they account for the bulk of the changes. <laughs> um, and it's, it, it, it's a nice way, though, to highlight some of the things that are coming up. So, for example, in this November update that you'll find at ahdictionary.com, we uh, finally added the variant Czechia to the Czech Republic because more and more places oh. are starting to use it. Hey, how about that? Yeah, um, You'll get a lot of re- really cool revised etymologies like uh, eklat. <laughs> e accent C-L-A-T. I'm not going to read the etymology because it's really long, but it's really cool. So sometime in mid-November, look that up. Or, or we'll add uh, usage notes. And it's great because you can add a bunch of material. You don't have to worry about space. You don't have to take things out mm-hmm. in order to add this material. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, the new usage note at Exotic is going to read, based on its etymology, exotic just means from somewhere else or foreign. But because of its association with stereotyped or superficial depictions of non-Western cultures, such as those of East Asia, Africa and the islands of Polynesia, it can be offensive when used to describe a people's cuisine, dress, or customs. The term is still widely used and not generally regarded as offensive when describing plants that are growing outside their native range, such as exotic plants like kudzu, or unusual animals kept as pets, chameleons and other exotics. Ocelots. Ocelots. Do you keep an ocelot as a pet? No. Does one? Uh, I've I've heard tell... That one can. People keep all sorts of weird things as pets. They do. They do. I had an angora rabbit, so I can't really. That's say. is that is that unusual as a pet? Well, I mean, it's a weird rabbit to have. They're they're the ones that are giant like fluff right. balls, and you shear them and you spin their wool. Did you spin its wool? I did. Have you seen the website where the, when you um, remove hair from a cat? You can knit cat hair and make little, like, cat sweaters. I have seen that. And that's a level of weird I'm just not willing to go for. But, you know, to each their own. There you go. So, but online updates happen much more regularly. Some dictionaries, like the Oxford English Dictionary, now only does online updates because to keep up with printing 
and the cost of printing all of this new material, it would just be, I mean, I think the OED at this point, if they printed, would be something like, what, 32 volumes or something it's crazy like that? Yeah. yeah. So some dictionaries only update online. Lots of crowdsourced dictionaries are obviously only online sources. And so, yeah, online is kind of where it's at. But be aware that what you see online is not always what you get in print dictionaries. And this is why citation is so important. If you are mm -hmm. writing a paper and you're citing a dictionary, you really need to be clear whether it was accessed online, what day it was accessed online. Oh, yeah. If it was a print, uh, what, what, what edition, what copyright update, what printing. Yeah. It's very, very important. Because the language is always changing. It is. And a lot of the uh, changes that get pushed out to online are, um, I mean, I know at Merriam-Webster, we will... It, we will do, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of revisions and changes that are not new entries, too. So that's another thing to keep in mind, that the date of access is really important because you may one day look up, for instance, the word shitstorm and not find it in the dictionary and then two days later find it in the dictionary because oh. I drafted it seven months ago and speaking it finally of went on shit live. Storms, <laughs> speaking of shitstorms, uh, with this new update, uh, there is a fuck ton of Ooh, new shit words. Nice. Fuck ton also new uh, oh, because shitstorm, I, th I think it was shithole that precipitated yes. this review and it's like these words that had been building up and in the file like we should add this, we should add this. It's like, all right, this is the time that we're going to review all of these compounds. We put in shitter, which had never been there. Really? Shitter yeah. had never been there? No. I mean, so I think you and I did the shit reviews for our respective dictionaries at roughly the same time. Right, right, right. Because I remember we were chatting online about, you know, hey, do you guys have shitstorm in? We don't have, we're, you know, oh, what about this? What about that? And so, yeah, at Merriam-Webster, yeah, the online dictionaries version of shit, that's all my work. So online, there you have it. And there's your distinction. <laughs> hey, as we roll into November, you're hearing this in November, uh, it's time for the holidays. It is. And Any, so, all sorts of holidays. Yeah. And so we thought we would make your holiday easier yeah. by telling you what books written by friends of ours that you should buy for your loved ones. Yeah. Assuming that your loved ones are just as nerdy as you are and would love books about dictionaries and language. I'm going to start briefly by plugging our own, and then we'll talk about <laughs> some of our friends. Yeah. Uh, if you are interested at all in linguistics and don't know much about linguistics and want an accessible way of understanding the basis of phonology, semantics, that sort of thing, I recommend the textbook I wrote uh, called Is English Changing? Very straightforward, written at a level that anyone can understand. And uh, so if you're looking for that for yourself or a friend, that would be the way to go. And if you are looking for a nonfiction biography slash memoir slash reference slash humor book, uh, I think that covers it, then you should buy Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries, which is the book that I wrote, which is a story of how dictionaries get written, how the English language has evolved. Uh, it tells a couple of really goofy stories about what it's like to work in a dictionary office. Um, I will tell you one that did not make the cut now because it, I was just reminded of it since we are heading into uh, November. At one point, a colleague came up to me with a card for a person who had had a baby, and he dropped it off at my desk, and all he said to me was, the baby was born neither on Patriot's Day nor the observance of Patriot's Day, so I don't know what could be said. 
And then he walked away. And I didn't have a conversation with him for six more weeks. So <laughs> if you want more stuff like that, then you should buy my book. And you should also buy Steve's book. We're not on Patreon, by the way. And that's how you can support us. If you really want to throw some money our way, buy our stupid books. And that'll put us ever closer to getting to the royalty figures <laughs> so that we can, in fact, get royalties at some point. But we have many friends who write other books. Um, yes. And uh, the first book I'm going to pitch is... Lynn Murphy's The Prodigal Tongue. Mm. You might know Lynn from her blog that she writes called Separated by a Common Language. Mm -hmm. uh, she's an American who's been in England for the past 20 years or Something so. Something like that, yeah. Um, and she writes about differences between American and British English. And uh, the book is very entertaining, fun to read. Uh, one minor excerpt that I will bring up, for example... She talks about pronunciation differences between uh, British English and American English. Mm -hmm. For example, the way that the Brits say herb and we say herb. Right. And she goes into explanation as to why that happens or um, how Americans rhyme um, sloth, S-L-O-T-H, with cloth instead mm -hmm. of sloth like the British do. And she points out the British pronunciation uh, even shows the words ancient relation to the word slow. Oh, grow, growth, slow, sloth. Oh, those Brits. Yeah. So clever. So um, if you are interested in differences and similarities between British and American English, uh, check out Lynn Murphy's The Prodigal Tongue. Yeah. Interestingly, I believe that there is a separate cover for the British edition. There and, is. And the American edition. There is. We will uh, link probably the American edition in maybe here, but, we'll or maybe both. both. Yes. Whatever, whatever. If you are looking for a book that tells you that American English is wrong, Lynn's book is not for you. So just just be aware of that. So uh, one of the... Wait, are there books that say that American English is wrong? Oh, girl, so many. Ugh. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, we're not going to talk about those books because... Um, it's a nice day, and I don't want to ruin it. Um, the, the One of the books that I want to plug is, it's an academic book. And before you run away and say, I don't want an academic book, this is an academic book that if you're interested at all in dictionaries and in dictionary writing and in historical dictionaries in particular, you should get. And it is a book that is, uh, I think it's just come out by Lindsay Rose Russell. It's called Women in Dictionary Making, Gender, Genre, and English Language Lexicography. And if you have ever wondered, does gender play a role in how dictionaries are put together? The answer first is yes. But if you've ever wondered about things like, what kind of dictionaries do women write? What about feminist dictionaries? What about uh, dictionaries that are anonymous? There are a lot of them, sort of historically, that it turns out were written by women. What about dictionaries dedicated to women? There are some of those historically, too. So I would really recommend this. It is an amazing reference book. Uh, just for example, I'm going to point out Table 3.1, which is women attributed or attributable as compilers of dictionaries from 1486 to 1900. This table um, goes through and it gives, you know, it gives a decent biographies and uh, little blurbs about each woman. The table itself is, I have to do the maths, it is almost 35 pages long. So if for no other reason, then it's important to understand how gender constructs have played into the compiling of dictionaries and how dictionaries have both erased and sort of upheld 
women in terms of needing to be educated, then you've got to take a look at this book. It is really, it's a phenomenal resource. I recommend it to anyone interested in dictionaries. Excellent. Uh, the next book I'm going to be talking about is Jack Lynch's You Could Look It Up. When I first heard about this book, I thought it was going to be a snarky essay about people who don't Google things <laughs> or people who just their answers are there if they would just look it up. I, I thought it would be like, right. there's a bunch of things that you've said and the answer is just look it up. That's not what it's about. <laughs> Uh, it's not what it's about, and it ends up being far more entertaining and informative than a list of snark would be. Uh, you Could Look It Up is about reference works throughout history, and it is fascinating. Uh, the first chapter starts right out with the quote of Hammurabi. Uh, it has chapters, for example, there's one on sex manuals. Uh, there's one you know, from, from the 1700s and 1800s. There's a chapter on game and sports. So he oh, yeah. goes into talks about Edmund Hoyle. Y you've yeah. heard the phrase according to Hoyle and all of that. Right. Uh, his book, A Short Treatise on the Game of Whist. <laughs> I really like how you articulated that yeah, well, WH there. Well, for that, I think it's whist. whist. Yeah, you have yes. to say it like that. Yes. There's no like other way. Like Stewie on uh, Family Guy. <laughs> It is an entertaining book. You will learn so much about different reference works throughout history. Surprisingly little about dictionaries themselves, which, because that's not its point. The point is there is so much out there other than dictionaries. He's mm -hmm. a scholar who knows a great deal about dictionaries, but other kinds of reference works as well. Um, so it is a uh, book you should check out. You yeah. could look it up you by could. Jack Lynch. And if that name is familiar to you, it's because in one of our episodes about uh, syllabification, Jack is the guy who responded and said, actually, I've antedated Corey's earliest he finding. He did it without saying the word actually. He did. He did not say actually. And he was very kind in saying that he was bursting both of our bubbles, not just the ladies. So it was great. Um, so Jack is a great writer. His earlier book, The Lexicographer's Dilemma, uh, is really also a great overview of historical lexicography and the creation of proper English. If anyone is interested in proper English, you should read it. Um, it also talks about South Park and Lenny Bruce, I believe. So always a good thing to have. Uh, the other book I would like to pitch is not a book about references or about dictionaries, but it is a book that was written using dictionaries, only dictionary uh, example sentences, in fact. And that is Jez Burroughs' Dictionary Stories, Short Fictions, and Other Findings. This book is phenomenal. I love this book so much. Uh, you should know the basic premise is Jez Burroughs was reading one day, he was reading an online dictionary, and he noticed that the example sentences seemed weirdly excerpted from broader, uh, like this broader narrative. And so he started compiling example sentences from a bunch of dictionaries. So he uses the New Oxford American Dictionary, the Collins Cobild Primary Learners Dictionary, the Macquarie Dictionary, which is Australian. He uses the American Heritage Dictionary. He uses Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. Um, I believe he also used Webster's New World, but I will have to double check that. And what he did was he uh, pulled all of the example sentences, and then he wrote short fiction using only the example sentences from all these different dictionaries. So the very first entry in Dictionary Stories, it starts with A, it is titled Aggression, Passive. And the words that he's uh, pulled these from are language and word. 
from the New Oxford American Dictionary, and it is titled John. And it is, the English language has over 500,000 words, but John didn't say a word all the way home. So that's one example. One of my other favorites is um, also from the, he also pulled from the New Oxford American Dictionary. I'm not picking on Noad, I promise. But it's called Table for One. Forty years there or thereabouts have elapsed. My date isn't going to show, it seems. So if you like fiction, uh, you should pick up a copy of Dictionary Stories. It's, um, it's also a very handy size, and it's, it's easily taken in small bites. So, You know what that reminds me of? Hmm. I, I don't know if it still exists online, but for a while there was something called Dictionary-Oki. Dictionary-Oki! This is where someone took the sound files from all of the dictionaries online. You know, when you push the button that says, how do I pronounce this yeah. word? They would take that and they would make... Uh, they would they would put them together into actual songs. Yeah. So like Nine Inch Nails Closer yes. was pulled together from all of these <laughs> different people saying all of the words yeah. in Closer. Um, yeah, I think Dictionary Oki is offline, sadly, but um, they used a lot of Merriam-Webster's recorded pronunciations, and uh, and we used to pass around the office. My, our favorite was the James the cover of James Brown's I Feel Good, which was I Feel Good. I knew that I would now. In Closer, I'm pretty sure the F word came from the AHD. I think oh, that, yeah? I think that's David I'm Joe's sh- saying. I'm sure, that that, yeah. I'm sure that's the case, because I don't know that we recorded all of the profanity for our very first online. This was some time ago. Yeah, so. this is this is ancient history. The, the, the whole concept of found art from mm-hmm. dictionaries, you get people sending in essays or poems written around guide words yes yeah the the words at the top of the page that tell you the beginning and end of the page what those words are Mm -hmm. people read them and sometimes they're funny but people will write poetry about them and some of it's creepy and weird it is some of it is creepy and weird for dictionaries in particular people seem to have like a huge uh need uh, it is a compulsive need to take it and use it as raw material and then send it into lexicographers to let them know what so, they did. So, for example, Webster's New World College Dictionary, 5th edition, page 534. <laughs> the guide words are fender, bender, and ferret. Nice. How much fun can you have with that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... That is uh, gift-giving opportunities for your loved ones. If you really love them, that's what you're going to buy them. Um, But we also want to sort of segue into letting you know that we are going to actually take a little season break. Our life is very busy during holidays. As As yours is, we assume. As is yours. And we're going to take a little season break. We're going to do some planning. We're going to do some... uh, other sound things. Intrepid Engineer Josh needs a break. And and we'll be back in 2019 with more episodes. Absolutely. Season two is going to be really fun. There's going to be at least one live episode that's taped. Yes, there is. And we're hoping to get more guests on. We are not going to make them sit in the back bedroom of the Stamper House like we did with Jesse, but or maybe we will. Maybe that. Maybe we will kidnap them and bring them here. Yes. So <laughs> thank you for a, a wonderful 2018 podcast season. Yeah. Uh, thank you for rating us on iTunes mm-hmm. and at Podbean. We appreciate your kind words, your support. Yeah. And we will still be around on Twitter. We will see you in 2019. Bye. Bye. Bye.